0: Is this the last ride for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan? Where there's smoke, there's fire, but also wouldn't it be the most Jim Harbaugh thing ever? When everybody expects him to leave for the NFL, he digs his heels on and goes full Leo DiCaprio and says, I'm not leaving. We'll give you our thoughts here in just a second. Welcome into the Hard Cup. It is Wednesday, January 4th, 2024. Second show of the new year. Second live show of the new year, rather. We're glad to have you here with College Football, only college football. And we got a lot to jump into here. Got some national title keys for you. The classic, they win it all if, for both Michigan and Washington. We'll get to here in a second. Uh, For Ohio State, man, what's... What's the read in Ohio State right now? What's going on in Columbus? Because I think a lot of us watched the Cotton Bowl and then left with some strong opinion on Ryan Day because, hey, they lost to Michigan too, so that's two in a row for Ohio State. They had lost. What's going on with Ryan Day? Is he the right guy for for the people in Columbus? Like, we'll talk about that. Uh, Pete Famel reporting that. Will Howard, yeah, the Transfer Portal quarterback from Kansas State, a lot of smoke around USC at one point in time, Ohio State. Pete Nakos had reported they're pushing to get into the mix there. Uh, He's going to visit Ohio State. And I think that is very good news for the folks in Columbus if you were able to land Will Howard. But we'll talk about where things stand for Ohio State and how we feel right here on this show about right day. On top of that, went to the people of the program segment that we had last week, and it was phenomenal. Y'all crushed it in every single sense. Told y'all, really important to be following me on Twitter because we'll post. I guess once a week, we're probably doing it now. What are your college football questions? Want to hear from y'all, and y'all have given us some great ones, so we'll unpack a few of those on this very show. We'll continue to do that here on some future live shows, so make sure you're dialed in. And uh, we got questions about Nico. We got questions about the expanded playoff and if a 7 through a 12 seed can maybe compete for it here in the future when it comes to a national championship or if there's too much separation. We'll get to all that. We're glad to have you here. We will be in Houston leaving Friday for the national championship game we'll have content for you that following morning after the game a live show likely from Houston we'll give you our uh we'll give you some more intel as that uh, pushes forward but we'll have content like I said all weekend uh, we'll have content for you on Monday after the game more than likely live not live uh for us will be live we're recording it though from the field and giving you a reaction to the game as soon as it goes final so make sure you subscribe make sure you dialed in we'll have a lot of content for you throughout the weekend throughout the week can't waste any more time got a lot to jump into the question on everyone's mind as it pertains to jim harbaugh in michigan for this national title run is this the last dance is this the last ride for jim harbaugh because there has been smoke the last two off seasons of is he gonna leave for the nfl and he's talking to the jobs and he's maybe going to leave for the Vikings job if he gets it ends up not getting it ends up coming back to Michigan and they'd run it back yet again win the Big Ten and make the college football playoff and then this past offseason there was some noise but it was dialed down I think a little bit more than it was the year before this year though you got a lot of folks asking the question is this the year let's unpack this on paper I wholeheartedly believe there is not a better job than Michigan for Jim Harbaugh right now. That's not to say he's not going to go, but when you look at this pros and cons list, you're at your alma mater. So there's the heartstrings part of this that's involved. Uh, you have your team in national title contention, and not just this year, but really I think going forward I would have to imagine when the when the playoff expands, I think Michigan can probably go ahead and get a timeshare for wherever the expanded playoff is going to be, all right, because I think they're going to be that in that thing just every single year. Uh, you're paid really well. Like, I understand that the money in the NFL might be superior, but with how much Jim Harbaugh is making, is there anything that he's doing right now that he can't do if he makes $5 more million more? Like, like is, his, is his quality of life changing drastically with NFL money? I don't think so. Is money really what we're talking about right here? Also, the job security at Michigan. I mean, th- there were points where we're talking about him having a lifetime contract in Ann Arbor. Like, that was a real thing, and that was before the success they've had the last couple of years. Jim Harbaugh is the man in Ann Arbor. You go to an NFL team, and what do you have, two years if you're not successful? Now, that's not me saying he wouldn't be successful, but I am saying, do you really want to try and be happier than happy? On paper, I think the pros drastically favor the Michigan job. Now, look at the potential pros for the NFL. Like we already said, I think you can make more money. And again, is that the end-all be-all for you? If it is, more power to you. But I don't think that's really how Jim Harbaugh operates. Now, here's the real mystery box. What is the NCAA going to do? Like, is that going to be something that just is a continual thorn in your side? If it's not the Connor Stallion stuff, it's something else in the future? Because it seems like the NCAA, from where I'm sitting, very clearly has a bone to pick with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Is it fair? I don't think so. It is what it is, though. And I think that's going to be something that continues to press on. The, the Connor Stallions thing in general right now, is that going to be something that just makes your life miserable going forward these next couple of years with whatever they slap you with from the NCAA? It's a very big question mark. Now, here's the big question mark here. Here's the one when you go through the pros and cons list, I just I don't know what value you assign to this. The intrinsic values for Jamalbaugh, like the, 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 the personal goals you have, Because I think at Michigan, you've probably done all that you can do short of winning a national championship. Now, they're going to have a chance to check that final box here in just a little bit. But for him, he's been to a Super Bowl. He's he's been right on the doorstep of achieving the ultimate goal in football, period, at the the professional level. How much does that matter to him to get back to the NFL and then conquer that? Because I think for the most part, you can say you've conquered college football 98%. You beat Ohio State. You won your conference two years in a row. Regardless of what happens this season, you have accomplished your ultimate goal of making Michigan a national title kind of team. Now, you haven't accomplished the ultimate goal, period, of winning the national title, so that's a very, very big if. And if they don't win the national title, maybe that door is propped open a little bit more for him to come back. But what, what is his intrinsic value on the NFL? That's something that we just can't quantify and something that only Jim Harbaugh really knows, to be honest. So there's a way it is on paper, and there's a way that I think everyone is feeling about this whole situation, myself included. On paper, I think Jim Harbaugh should stay at Michigan for all the reasons we just mentioned. Now, the vibes for me personally and the vibes for everyone that I've talked to is that this is the last dance. This is the last ride. And maybe it didn't feel that way early on in the year, but as this thing has stretched on News comes out that he's signed with an, an agent that has pretty deep NFL ties. You're kind of reading the writing on the wall and saying, okay, where there's smoke, there's fire. And There's been smoke before, but there's more smoke than ever before. And with the way the NCAA is just pushing very, I think firmly on everything at Michigan right now, kind of putting the squeeze on them and Jim Harbaugh, it feels like they're doing their best to try and push him out. That's the way it feels. I don't know if that's the way it is. But you're on the doorstep of checking the very last box, like we already said. Is there much more that you really need to do if you're Jim Harbaugh? Is there a lot more that you feel like you have yet to accomplish at Michigan short of winning a national championship? Now, if they win a national championship, I feel even more so this way. If they hoist that hardware in, in Houston and the confetti drops, like I would not be surprised if within the next week to week and a half, we see him take an NFL job. And honestly, more power to him. If you're having the squeeze put on you by the NCAA, and you've checked your final box that you want to at Michigan, and you want to go? Quite honestly, live a better quality of life in the NFL. You don't have to go and recruit, and you live a much more just football-centric life. More power to you. So again, that's kind of the way that it feels to me. Whether they win a national title or not, I think Jim Harbaugh can feel like he's done all that he I say all that he wanted to. Uh, very close to all that he wanted to do at Michigan, and all that you know he he came there to do, which is make Michigan a national title-level team. Now again, hoisting the hardware is the real last thing they want to do, but. I think the more this develops, the more it looks like the NFL and Jim Harbaugh is inevitable. Looks, not is, but that's the way it feels. Now, here's the major caveat I want to make sure we say here. Yes, we feel a certain way about Jim Harbaugh in the NFL, but nothing about this situation, whether he stays or whether he goes, would outrageously surprise me. Because wouldn't it be just the most Jim Harbaugh thing ever? For him to stick his heels in the ground, say, forget you NCAA, I'm staying at Michigan. Y'all can give us uh, sanctions, you can give us a bull bait, you whatever you want to do, come at us. and You better swing hard and swing as much as you can because I'm not leaving. Folio DiCaprio style. That's, the, that's, I think, something that's very much so in the cards, more so with Jim Harbaugh than maybe any other coach. Because think about Jim Harbaugh, man. He defies common sense consistently. It would have made sense for him to leave for the NFL last year. I mean, he'd propped Michigan up to, I mean, as as great a spot as they'd been in in recent history. Like, he had done what he wanted to do at Michigan last year, probably, for the most part. And again, I I say that with a little bit of room for, hey, we want to win a national title. Like, that's obviously the ultimate goal. But in terms of making Michigan relevant and a national power again, he had done that. He had done that. I will also say, I think he works better in college. That's not me saying that he couldn't be extremely successful in the NFL. He absolutely could. But look at what Jim Harbaugh does. Look at what he is. He's a psycho, man. I say that in the most endearing way. He's a little bit crazy. And you see his parents in their interview uh, after the Rose Bowl that was going on on social media, which I absolutely love. But like they, they are they got one speed, man, if you're a Harbaugh. You have one speed. Jim Harbaugh is climbing trees in the backyard of recruits. He's out there shirtless during different practice periods. He's catching the football for his quarterback in pregame warm-up with gloves on. He's kind of tapping him on the shoulders and and getting, getting ready to go. He's talking about not eating chicken with it, being a nervous bird, taking a vitamin that's steak and milk every day. He's taking his team to Italy for spring practice. Like, dude is a little bit weird, and I love that. Like, he's a weirdo, but if you're a college football fan, like, he's our weirdo, man. And it works for college kids. I don't know how that works in the NFL. Now, again, I'm not here to tell you that Jim Harbaugh wouldn't adapt his style. I'm not telling you he doesn't have a great chance to be successful in the NFL because clearly he's got some skins on the wall. But if you're a grown man and he's making more money or you're making more money than him, how does that play? So it's far be it for me to tell you Jim Harbaugh couldn't be wildly successful in the NFL. But when I look at how he fits in college football, I think it's like a glove. So I personally, selfishly, Would love to see Jim Harbaugh stay in college football and be successful and quite honestly just say, forget you NCAA, we're we're probably moving to an area here in the not too distant future anywhere where the NCAA is even more relevant than they already are. I would love to see Jim Harbaugh stay. Now, will he do it? I don't think so. But again, with the way that Jim Harbaugh operates, uh, nothing, and I do mean nothing, would surprise me with what he does next. So... I just think Jim Harbaugh is good for college football, to be honest. I really do. I really do. I think he's fun. I think he doesn't take himself too seriously. I think he's got the right energy about him when it comes to how he approaches the game and how he approaches his team. Like, I'd play for Jim Harbaugh. I'll say that much. Hey, everyone who's tuned in live, you could like the video. We'd appreciate that tremendously. And if you could subscribe to the channel, we'd also appreciate that tremendously. So, we'll keep on rolling here. I mentioned this at the top of the show. Make sure you're following me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, because we'll go there semi frequently and post an open Twitter or post an open question on my Twitter and just say, hey, hit us with your college football questions. We want to hear from y'all. We can't call this the People's College Football Show if we don't involve the people into the show. And we answer y'all's questions in real time on that live chat, so make sure you get your questions in there as well. But this is a, a format for us to give you a little bit more of a developed answer to some of your questions. So uh, we got a few of y'all that hit us up, and I want to start with our man, Kevin. And this is a great question, and I think it deserves some, uh, some, real, some real thought to this one. Kevin asks, will we ever see a 7 through 12 seed win the national championship, or is there too much separation at the top? Now, you've heard of the blue chip ratio, which is essentially the the thought that no team that is made up of less than four or five-star players has won a national title in the modern era. I think we're starting to shift a little more away from just these superpower teams being dominant. And I think the national championship is, is a great example of that, both Michigan and Washington. They both develop well. They use the portal well. But those aren't two teams that you see in that top three every single signing day. That's not Georgia. That's not Bama. Now, Bama and Georgia, I think, very easily could have made a case for the best team in the country. And I think both teams, if Georgia at least had made the college football playoff, I personally would have picked them to win the national title. That's neither neither here nor there. Uh, But let's just kind of take a look at who those seven through 12 teams would have been this season. At seven, you got Ohio State, Oregon at eight, Missouri at nine, Penn State at 10, Ole Miss at 11, Oklahoma at 12. Personally, I see three or four of those teams that in a 12-team model could very easily make a push to at least compete for a national championship. I mean, Ohio State's a great example. Michigan's playing for a national title. Ohio State, at full strength, came within one drive of beating them. Now, I understand it's a rivalry game. I don't want to put too much of an emphasis on transitive property. But if Michigan, who is favored right now to win a national title, ends up being that national champion, Ohio State was right there with them. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. But to answer this question, they're the seven seed. I think they very, very much so could have a case to compete for a national championship should they have been in that 12-team playoff mode. Now, at number eight, you got Oregon. They lost to Washington, who's playing for a national title on Monday, twice by three points. Three points is a play here, a play there. Most memorably for Oregon in their first matchup, it's a fourth down here, a fourth down there. And that's not me telling you that Oregon's the best team in the country. I'm just saying, if the question is, could it happen? I think both those teams are a great case of, yes, absolutely it could happen. Now, I think the price of admission, though, to winning a national championship is still going to be the same. Line of scrimmage play, got to have it. Talent, you got to have it. I'm not saying you got to recruit at a top three level, but you got to have enough talent to at least be in the building, is what I'm trying to say. Now, there's another factor, though, that probably needs to be addressed outside of talent and depth and, and all of those things. When we move to a 12-team model, we got to put on the March Madness goggles a little bit, and I don't mean you got a 16-seed upsetting the one-seed or anything like that. We don't have any Group of Five, you know. I'll rephrase that: no FCS teams that are going to jump in this thing and make some noise. Obviously, that's not how this model works. But who wins March Madness? Is it the best basketball team? I would lean. It's more so the hottest basketball team. I look at this 12-team. Format with these seven through 12 teams from this year. I think Missouri and Ole Miss about as hot as it gets when it comes to college football teams. And if you put them in a playoff model, in a 12 team model, I wouldn't want to play either one of those teams. I mean, with, with how you would have to defend Missouri and Brady Cook and Cody Schrader from this year, like that would give you problems. Go ahead and ask Ohio State about it. With how well they played defensively in that ball game, we'll talk more about Ohio State later in this live show. Uh, Ole Miss. The interesting thing about them you would have to match up with them. And I don't just mean from a personnel standpoint. I mean, you would have to match up with them schematically because that's the other variable within this thing when you come to this 12-team model. You have to be able to account for different styles of play. And we saw that during bowl season be a factor a little bit. Like, Iowa's a great example. When they played Tennessee, Iowa giving up 13 points a game all season long, and then they lose 35-0 to Tennessee. Some of that is, you know, the bowl game and guys maybe not being as fired up. I think a lot of that, quite frankly, was a different kind of offense that they hadn't seen throughout the course of the year. Yes, Tennessee's got a lot of weapons, but they played with a lot of tempo. You don't see a lot of tempo in the Big Ten. So I'm not here to tell you there's some disadvantage for a Big Ten team versus an SEC team. I just mean with the different flavors of style you get week in and week out in different conferences, when there's crossover to this 12-team model, that's another variable that I think definitely makes the 7-12 through thing a real possibility to go and win a national title. So being hot, the schematic elements that are going to be a part of this, here's the issue that I have with the 12-team model. What I just said, it might not be best team, it might be hottest team. I don't love that because quite frankly, I think college football and the national champion should go to the best team. That's why we love the regular season so much because the regular season is a 12-week playoff. If you drop a game, your conversation around the college football playoff Changes drastically. Now, Florida State's going to have an issue with this statement around us talking about the best 12 and and about the regular season and the importance of that. I understand all that, but I would say for the most part, we can understand the regular season is what makes college football. When you move to a 12-team model, you're going to have teams with two, maybe three losses in the dance. I don't love the idea of that. I don't think that really qualifies you as one of the best teams. You might be the best team on that day and the best team for that stretch of games, but I don't think that makes you the very best team. And it, again, to me, dilutes what the regular season is, which is why college football is so special. I have zero interest in Michigan and Ohio State being for seeding. I didn't say I have different interest in that game if it's for seeding. I mean, I have dif- I have zero interest in that being the stakes. But it's coming. We'll get on board with it. I'm, I'm you know I'm going to watch. I'm going to talk about it. We're going to, honestly, I think benefit a lot from the 12-team playoff. But how do get in our soapbox with it being a, a conversation around this? But to answer your question, Kevin, can it happen? Will it happen? 100. percent It will, and it can happen. Now, Vol for Life 42 hit us up, and uh, I mean the the username itself should tell you quite a bit. He asks, "Did Nico impress versus the Iowa defense enough for you to buy stock?" Vol for Life 42. Just to be honest with you, I'd already I'd already bought stock in Tennessee with Nico, and that's that's not me dismissing your question that's not not at all what I'm trying to say here I just mean with his skill set with him being the number one player for us here at all three in the country in the class of 2023 it's just a matter of time until he gets comfortable and does really good things in Knoxville now again the matter of time part of this is crucial what we saw in that bowl game was a tremendous data point we've said it on here several times I'm going to say it again what we saw was awesome It should excite you. It excited me as a college football fan, seeing what he was doing in that bowl game as a true freshman, his first start ever. The tools are obvious. But with that one data point, it's going to be a chart here that we track for the entirety of his career, and there's going to be dots all over that first starting point. Some will be lower, some will be higher. It was great. It was really, really good, but it's going to be a long game for him him to ultimately achieve what he's capable of. The thing that I think excites me on top of his poise and the fact that he handled himself the way he did, didn't make any you know, crucial mistakes in turning the football over, what he brings to the table as an athlete running the football. One, I think it's going to serve him well early on in his career and allow him to maybe get away with some things that less mobile quarterbacks couldn't. But it adds another level to Josh Heupel's offense. You saw it some with Hendon Hooker with how good of an athlete he was running the football. Joe Milton. Has a different kind of athleticism and threat he brings running the football with his size. But with Nico, I think he's got enough make-you-miss to him, similar to Hendon Hooker. I think he's got some really good escapability as well. But what I'm trying to say here is the Josh Heupel offense is built on straining the third and second level of a defense. Because they spread you all the way out. They make your safeties have to decide if they want to play the run or play the pass. Does your linebacker or overhang player want to try and play that slot receiver or add in on our run game? And adding a quarterback run element to it just provides another thing for that second and third level of the defense to have to worry about. Especially on those, you know, RPOs or on the read option kind of plays. Whenever you take the front out of it, in theory, with reading them. It's gonna make defenses very, very frustrating. It's gonna allow for Tennessee to continue to be extremely potent. And so I think that the ultimate thought for me here around Nico is as he progresses, one, he'll have multiple years to do it. So that's encouraging. You have some continuity there under Josh Heipel. On top of that, from his skill set, I think you have a quarterback that is not going to be held back by any physical capabilities to running Josh heupel's offense. And Joe Milton had a ton of physical ability. He wasn't as consistent of a passer as I think Tennessee fans would have liked to see. I don't think Nico will have that same problem. And that's not me throwing shade at Joe Milton. I think it's just speaking volumes to the kind of player that that Nico Imaliava is. Like he's that kind of gifted when it comes to his physical tools. So the growth, it will not be a straight line. Like what he saw in that bowl game will be very different than when he goes and plays at Georgia between the hedges. It'll be a different atmosphere. It'll be a different level of athleticism defensively give him some time but to answer your question i had already bought stock even if nico went out there and threw two picks because of the tools because of the system around him and because of quite frankly the way that josh heupel works with quarterbacks the fact that he got to sit this year i want to make sure we make this point before we move on here there's gonna be a lot of people that are saying well nico should have been the guy from the jump it's easy to say that after you saw what he did against the Iowa defense. But again, that was a neutral site, that was in a bowl game, and that was in a spot where there wasn't as much of a you know, book out on who Nico is. If you gave Nico the keys from game one throughout the course of the season, you risk more than I think you gain. Because what you do as a true freshman is learn college football for the most part, to be honest. Nico being able to sit behind Joe Milton, see how he does things, get comfortable in college, get comfortable in this offense. If he was the best guy for the job, I have a hard time believing that Josh Heupel wouldn't have made him the guy for the job. Like, I don't think Joe Milton was just gifted this job because he was, you know, a six-year senior. He was given the job because he was the best player available for the position. And if that had changed at any point during the season, they would have made that change. So going back to what I said about Nico. As a true freshman there is the potential to again have more risk than reward by playing and what I mean by that is if Nico were to go out there and have some struggles he doesn't have a ton of experience to fall back on so what happens bruise your confidence and that's a tough pit to dig out of you potentially develop some bad habits and that's something that stretches on probably throughout the course of this season if not your career it's ultimately stunting your growth So letting him sit behind a guy like Joe Milton, see how he runs this offense, heck, see how he carries himself, see how he responds to adversity, I think that does a lot for him as a player, will do a lot for him in the long term, and do a lot for Tennessee in the long run. So we're buying stock in Nico. You better believe it. And not just from that bull game. We believe Nico's going to be a stud for a long time there. All right, one more here for us from the people of the program. Again, make sure you're following on Twitter. I want to hear from y'all. So follow me there. And answering those questions or answering that question and answer call to action is the best way for us to get your questions on the air and do a segment about it. So we had Sooner uh, Sooner Virginia hit us up. I almost said Sooner Vision, which I think is uh, one of their media outlets out there. Maybe one of the in-house outlets out there. Regardless, uh, Sooner Virginia reached out to us and said, what's the outlook for non-Alabama and non-Georgia teams in the SEC? And I think, to be honest, this is going to be, as we sit here in January of 2024, one of the deepest years the SEC has ever had. And, or at least in recent memory. The obvious there, outside of Georgia and Alabama, is Texas. Texas was a playoff team this year. Also, guess what? They passed the Alabama test this year in Tuscaloosa. And you bring back Quinn Ewers. So the most important part of your football team the player that makes your offense go is back, and he's got some more skins on the wall. And again, that's, this is all assuming that the reports of him likely staying follow through and equate to him actually staying, and I think that would make sense for him. Um, also, the line of scrimmage. I understand they'll lose some guys, but for the most part, like I think they've recruited well enough and built that team to a certain point where they're going to have the price of admission to compete in the SEC. I think they're going to be in good shape for a while there. But in this upcoming year, like I think Texas has the confidence and has the trend to be really successful in the SEC. Uh, Ole Miss now is one of the ultimate sleepers, I think, a- across the college football landscape. And they may not be a sleeper when the season starts. Jackson Dark coming back, he is, I think, one of the most underrated players in the country. He deserves a lot more national juice. Dude is a baller and proved it in that bowl game against Penn State. And the way they're developing the trenches, of Walter Nolan, Added Tyler Barron. Added Princely Uman Mielin. Guys that all have real-deal playing experience. All guys that are proven commodities, not just in college football, but in the SEC. They know what they're getting week in and week out. So the line of scrimmage, I think, will be improved from a year ago defensively. And then going back to what I just said, the offense with Jackson Dart running the show, you add in Juice Wells, who they got via the portal. Like, Lane Kiffin has a team right now that I think is set to make some major, major noise. The offense was always going to be in that 30 points a game range as long as Lane Kiffin's your head coach. But now having the defense be able to take it up a notch and say what we said previously, if you want to compete with Georgia and Bama, it starts having those big boys up front. I don't think you'll see Ole Miss ever just get bullied around anymore with that kind of depth on the defensive line. Now, we have to take it from paper to the practice field and ultimately to the grass on game day. But, like, I, I love the way this team is built. I think Ole Miss has a very real chance they got to be a dark horse to win the conference, in my mind. Along with Texas, uh, they'll be competitive, without question, for some hardware. Uh, Now, two teams I wouldn't sleep on. Let's let's make it three teams. Uh, Missouri, pending Brady Cook coming back for another year. Luther Burden uh, is going to be back for another year. Uh, Adding talent across the board for Missouri. Williams-Wanary signed there. I expect him to play early. Like The way this roster is built... I think they are set to build on what they did this past season. Now, no more Cody Schrader. That's unfortunate. That's a massive loss. But Missouri, the way that they've got some momentum right now, they got some self-belief. Eli Drinkwitz, I think he's, he's, got a, he's, got a, he's got a team out there. He's got a program out there in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, two teams that are under the radar, though, Texas A&M and Auburn. Let's start with A&M. They've got the talent. How long have we said that? I know the portal has ravaged their roster. I understand they still have top 10 talent in the country from where I'm standing. And now you got a guy in Mike Elko who preaches the right things, who preaches structure, who preaches culture. That's been what's missing at, at A&M for a minute now. That's not me throwing shade at the old staff. I'm just saying it's obvious when you watch A&M, they were a team with a great engine, not a great steering wheel. They've always had the juice. They've always been able to compete with those teams. But now I think you have someone who is able to take all that horsepower and give it some real direction. I would watch AM in the SEC, and this is the, the probably the most under-the-radar team. What if Peyton Thorne takes a jump at Auburn? What if he improves from what he did this past season? I understand the bull game left a lot to be desired. I do not blame you. But my feeling on Auburn going into the year was, okay, they used the portal well. How quickly does it gel? Peyton Thorne did not get spring football in Auburn, Alabama. So throughout the course of the season, fall camp going into the games they were playing, to me it felt like he was still trying to totally get comfortable and never really got there. Now give him a full off season, give him those full 15 practices in the spring, I think they're going to be in good shape. And we already saw what they were capable of this past season as they were trying to put it together with sticks and glue in the transfer portal. They pushed Georgia to the last drive. They pushed Alabama to fourth and 31. The New Mexico State thing is kind of a black eye on their year, but when you look at what this team is capable of from last season, if they build upon that, let's say they have a pop year and get to maybe nine wins, nine wins in the SEC is going to at least put you on the bubble for the college football playoff. So in terms of the outlook for teams outside of Bama and Georgia in the SEC, I think it's a lot of depth. It's going to be dangerous. Y'all, I barely even talked about Oklahoma. Oklahoma could be a force as well with what Brent Venables did this past season, going from six wins to ten wins. I understand there's a change of quarterback there, but the SEC will be hunger games with no divisions, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So the SEC, are there teams outside of Bama and Georgia that are going to be competitive and have a chance to win some hardware in that conference and beyond? You better believe it. You had better believe it. So that'll be fun, man. I'm excited to watch that conference next year, along with the Big Ten too. Like this has kind of been my stance on this thing for a while. We were never pro-expansion. We were never pro-conference realignment. We just selfishly are college football traditionalists, and we love the college football that we grew up with. I love seeing Oregon play Arizona. I love seeing Texas play Baylor. Like, I was all about that. But as we move into this new era of college football, and we see Michigan play Oregon, we see Texas play Georgia. Like, when those games get here, you wake up on a Saturday morning You got college game day live from Athens with Arch Manning about to lead the team. Like, that's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So, yeah, twist tomorrow. I'll be there for that. That'll be a good time. And, uh, yeah, we'll be excited for that. So it is what it is, but the party rolls on. So the national championship is going to happen on Monday in Houston. We will be there. What has to happen for either side of this thing to win a national title? We'll talk about it right now, but first things first, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3YouTube channel, Talking College Football every single day live, not once, not twice, but three times a week. If you're watching this video as a one-off later, get in and get active with us on the live show because that's where this video is from. So thank you for that. Also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at jdpaquel So how does Michigan win a national championship? How do they get it done? I think for me, the obvious edges for Michigan in this game have to be the edges and what i mean by that is michigan is going to have the edge on the line of scrimmage that's not a secret washington is allowing four yards to carry michigan is like a 60 percent of the time run the football team they will get downhill consistently whether it's blake quorum donovan edwards Sprinkle a little J.J. McCarthy on the zone read action there. Like, they will make it a point to run the football, and there will be opportunity to run the football. Just ask Texas with their six yards of carry, almost 200 yards in the Sugar Bowl. But why this is interesting to me and why we have to talk about this, just because it's an edge on paper and it might be an edge on the field when they kick off, it has to stay an edge throughout the course of the game. Because, to be honest, it was an edge for Texas and Oregon going in both those games. Texas was averaging five yards of carry. Oregon, they were averaging 5.6 yards a carry. So in theory, they should have been able to just pound the rock and take the life out of Washington. That was why we picked against Washington in both those games. But when I look at this game, it has to stay an edge and why it wasn't an edge for either of those teams in the long term because Washington was able to, quite frankly, deep pass them out of their style of game. You can't run the ball for the duration of an entire drive if you're down by 10, down by 14. You, can't, you, have, you have to score quickly. You have to match scores at that point in time. Or at that point in time, you have to find, to find a way to dig out of a hole. And Texas and Oregon both had to dig out of a hole. So for Michigan, the key to me, the most important players, is going to be Will Johnson and Wallace. Two corners on the outside. If you can hold your water against Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, and I'm not saying you have to just totally lock them down, but I'm saying if you can hold your water and win enough of those battles to keep Washington within arm's length, that's where Michigan gets really dangerous. Because if you keep Washington at arm's length and make it a wrestling match as opposed to a boxing match, keep them kind of in that hole that you got them in and keep a lot of you know time on the ground and you're going back and forth as opposed to trading just haymakers, if it's that kind of game, Michigan gets to wear on you. And we've all said this across the college football world. We said this dating back to last season with Michigan. They are a team that just... You might be able to handle them in that first quarter. The weight might not be too heavy. But when you have that weight on your back for the duration of four quarters, if they get to keep pressing on you, you will break. And Michigan, that's what they want to do. That's what they've done to a lot of their opponents. That's what they did to win the Big Ten. That's who they are. So if they get to lean on Washington by nature of this game, staying in close proximity and being able to manage the deep pass against Washington, that is how they will win the football game. So give your offense a chance to control the game. The edge for Michigan, which is running the football, which is game control, has to stay the edge for them to win this football game. The style of play here is going to be extremely important. Going into the game, going into the fourth quarter rather, with a three points to a touchdown lead is exactly where you want to be if you're Michigan. Not just because you have the lead, because of what we just said. You get to keep leaning on the Huskies. So, other part of this for Michigan, have to play clean have to play clean if you want to win the national championship because Texas they matched up really well with Washington. I think on paper Texas was favored for the right reasons. We talk about the logos maybe being a factor in why Vegas is, you know, assessing Washington a certain way and that might still be true, but you look at how Texas matched up, NFL quarterback, couple NFL wide receivers, great line of scrimmage on offense, great line of scrimmage on defense. The issue was Texas gave extra pitches to Washington. When you got Aaron Judge at the plate, man, you don't want to give him another pitch. You don't want to give him another opportunity to knock it out of the park. And that was what Texas did. They lost the turnover battle. They lost the penalty battle, if that's even a thing. They had too many penalties. They had 10 for like 60 plus yards. That's more pitches to Washington. That's more opportunities for them to stretch their lead and to allow that offense of Michael Penix Jr. to be on the field and be dynamic and be potent. If you can keep from that being the case, you can, you can play clean, have zero turnovers, and keep, quite frankly, Michael Penix Jr. on the sideline watching the game while you drive down the field and take eight minutes off the clock, that's how Michigan wins this football game. Major factor is that fourth quarter. I keep going back to it. and It's, it's not novel to say that the fourth quarter is a major factor, but I mean, where they're at going into the fourth quarter, it's going to be a big deal. So that's the Michigan side of things. If you're Washington... What do you have to do to win a national title? I think the the first thought for me, kind of the inverse of what we talked about with Michigan, you need to land first half haymakers. Need to land those first half haymakers because Washington is here in this game in Houston because they have been better at playing their game than anyone else throughout the course of this season. Numbers back that up. They're better with their fastball when it counts than anyone. Average 350 pass yards a game. Good for the top spot in the country. Yards past 9.4, that's top 10 in the country. That is who they are. They are a vertical shot kind of team. I'm not saying they don't have other versatility, because they do. We've seen them be able to take time off the clock. We've seen them be able to make some plays and win with defense at different spots. They're great in one-score games. But you look at this game, you have to be able to put pressure on that Michigan offense to score with you. If it's played above the rim, I really like Washington in this game. So it's going to be a matter of shooting them out of their comfort zone early. Deep shot to Roma Dunze, 7-0. Maybe it's a drive where Michigan picks up a first down. Maybe they pick up two first downs. Heck, maybe they get a field goal on that first drive. Come right back, answer, touchdown, 14-3. At that point in time, you have the leverage. You've connected on your haymakers. Michigan is one of the elite teams in the country, obviously, by nature of them being in this game. But they are not built... To chase you with an 11 point lead as good as they are that's not their style of game that's not the style of offense that they run so once you have that leverage you connect on those haymakers same thing is true with this analogy if you land a couple of shots early in a boxing match what happens to your opponent a little bit woozy that jaw gets a little bit weak those hands start to drop a little bit and then you can start throwing more haymakers so this whole thing is the snowball effect for me when it comes to assessing Washington and how they match up with Michigan really really like their their chances to push the ball deep and going back to what we said about michigan man it's going to come down to wallace and will johnson how they defend on the outside against those freak show monster wide receivers other thing that's going to make washington the national champion at the end of monday night winning the time of possession now you hear me say that you say hey you get those notes confused a little bit i mean were you trying to talk about michigan winning time of possession and that's how they would win the national title It probably could be true for Michigan, but I think for Washington, look at the last two games that they have won. Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, Texas in the Sugar Bowl. In both those spots, Washington controlled the game from a time of possession standpoint. 37 minutes they had the ball against Oregon. 36 minutes against Texas. Now, if they're able to win the time of possession, that would mean two things. One, the pass game is efficient. And by efficient, I'm not talking about the deep shots downfield. I mean, it probably is packaged in there as well, but you're probably good in their intermediate game. You're probably hitting Westover. You're probably hitting McMillan. You're probably hitting Polk across the middle. Probably got Roma Dunze cooking a little bit too in the in the you know third and, and five range. The ball's not touching the ground a whole lot by nature of the time continuing to tick within this game. Other part of this, that would mean that there is very little, if any, margin for error for Michigan. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I'm saying if you watched the Rose Bowl, there were quite a few mistakes that Michigan was able to get away with. And they were pretty fortunate to get away with, in my opinion, in that spot. missed field goals, a lot of special team miscues, a couple of muff punts, like the margin for error for Michigan offensively just as a, as a team really starts to shrink if you win time of possession because you're probably getting less possessions if you're Michigan. You're not able to, you know have as much room to, try some new things and try and be too tricky downfield or whatever it ends up being so time of possession first half haymakers will make washington the national champion if they check both those boxes i cannot wait for this one it's going to be a blast it's going to be box office in every sense we got a great matchup in both these teams so it'll be a good time man again we'll be there in houston we'll be in the building when that confetti drops and we will have immediate reaction as soon as that game ends from the field uh, on this very channel so make sure you're subscribed there Uh, probably want to talk about this during tomorrow's show as well but I want to just preface it a little bit right now maybe get get your thoughts on this as well in the comment section what does this say about where college football is right now that we have a Michigan Washington national title because all I've heard the last five years and you've probably heard the same thing SEC this SEC that Top the recruiting class is this. And that definitely is true. That is what you need to have to be in the building when it comes to the recruiting part of things. We got two teams here, though. One from the West Coast, one from the Big Ten that doesn't recruit necessarily consistently in that top ten position. They're playing for a national championship. What I'm trying to say here is there was this glass ceiling that I think a lot of people put on different teams across the country and that was why we got so many people shouting for an expanded playoff and shouting for you know these different auto bids I'm like Cincinnati broke through that ceiling a couple years ago this this whole governor we've put on different teams across the country was always fake these two teams are a testament to that and I understand Michigan's a huge brand and I understand Michigan's got great resources but we talk about teams what they're not able to do Michigan's not recruiting drastically different than a lot of those other teams that could compete for a national title. So that's my thought on it. We'll come back to it here in a second, but just wanted to give our two cents there when it comes to where things are in the college football world as it pertains to Michigan and Washington. All right, let's talk about Ohio State a little bit here. Where do things stand in Columbus, Ohio? I think a lot of us saw that bowl game, Missouri and Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl and saw Ohio State not score a touchdown and saw Missouri look good and and scoring 14 points. I mean, good's maybe a stretch there. But there's a lot of people now that were waiting to say things about Ryan Day that have more ammunition to say them. Most notably, the born-on third base thing that people love to say about Ryan Day. So let's frame this correctly, just so we're on the same page here. In that bowl game, Ohio State, for the majority of the game, played with their third-string quarterback, played without Marvin Harrison Jr. And they had a defense that allowed 14 points against a Missouri offense that typically scores in the 30s. That's not me telling you that Ohio State has excuses, but I am saying if we want to to use the proper context around a game like this for Ryan Day, I think we probably would be wise to do that. Like, Ohio State, with full strength, heck, maybe even with Devin Brown in the game, I think they have a better chance to win that football game. But a lot of people now saying, Hey, Ryan Day, is he the right guy in Columbus? Losing to your six bulls, keeps losing to Michigan. Like, are, you, are we sure he's the right guy? Some people even shouting loudly he's not the right guy. I think given the, the results of this year, in spite of the results of this year, rather, I think there was a lot of validation for Ryan Day having a pretty good conversation against that Born on Third Base narrative. The reason why, he changed his formula and still got solid results. Now, I understand the results are still not up to par of what you expect in Columbus, Ohio, because the expectations are win the Big Ten, beat Michigan, and compete for national titles. They didn't do that this year. But quite frankly, they could have been, I think, substantially worse with what they didn't have at quarterback. And that's not me throwing too much shade at Kyle McCord. I just think it's kind of the fact of the matter. Ohio State, the last couple of years, has had a first-round draft pick playing quarterback for you. That was not the case with Kyle McCord. This was not an offense that was going to score in the 40s, as Ohio State has been accustomed to doing. Ryan Day realizes that and has built this thing to where they were able to win with defense. They allowed 11 points a game this year. Y'all, that's good for second in the country. Now, I understand all this is kind of a moot point because they didn't beat Michigan, but I just think we need to give a little bit of of an eye to how this Ohio State team was built. A lot of people saying, ah, he's just living off of what Urban Meyer did at Ohio State. He's living off the Ohio State brand. Y'all, this was not an Urban Meyer kind of team. The way that this team played game control, ran the football, played great defense. And that's not saying Urban Meyer's team didn't have great defense. But this was a defensive-led football team. Like, this was a Ryan Day coaching job here. And you saw the results be what they were. And to be honest, the Michigan game, if they're able to get in the end zone on that final drive... Maybe we have a different discussion this morning. Heck, last year, if they make that field goal against Georgia, we're talking about Ryan Day with a national championship before his name. Like, I just wanna make sure we're all on the same page here. Just because Ryan Day hasn't gotten over the hump at this point in his career, won a national title, does not mean he's not a great head coach. Kirby Smart was dealing with the same thing at Georgia for a while there. People saying, ah, well, he hasn't beat Saban. Ah, well, they haven't won a national title. Is he really the guy? Just because the standards are sky high and you haven't achieved them yet doesn't mean you're not still building the stairs towards that. Because I think that's what they've done here. They're still recruiting really well. And they're going after their guy in the portal right now, it sounds like, with Will Howard taking a visit to Columbus, Ohio. It sounds like in the very near future. That's where I want to settle in here. My big takeaway from the Cotton Bowl wasn't that Ryan Day can't be the guy. Wasn't that Ohio State has drastic improvements they have to make on, on the defensive side of the football. My big takeaway was, hey, they got to go and get a portal quarterback. Like, I love Devin Brown. I think he could eventually develop into a really good quarterback for Ohio State. But in small action against Missouri, I didn't feel overwhelmingly confident in him being the guy for you next year. And I I get that. That's bowl syndrome, so I want to guard against that. But I'm just saying, I think there was more to be desired from his performance. And, you know, very, very small amount of minutes then you saw Lincoln Then you saw Lincoln Keenholz another guy who could develop and be great but with the standard being as high as it is I think you got to go get someone who's proven and someone who has a real amount of production behind them who's not going to be a risk for you because as good as Devin Brown is as good as Lincoln Keenholz can be they're a risk and with Ryan Day as much murmurs as have been around Ohio State if they don't beat Michigan next year I'm not here to tell you there wouldn't be a a pretty strong push from folks in Columbus to say, hey, we need somebody new. Now, my question would be, who would you go get? Who is the guy that's going to be better for you than Ryan Day, who is one of the best winning percentages in college football right now? That's my question. But again, the, the point stands, if they don't beat Michigan next year, there will be a lot of angry people. And that's fair. It's, it's what it is in, at, at Ohio State. You know what it is. That's That's where the standard is. But going back to Will Howard, man, I think this will make all the sense in the world. I I really do. And he's visited Miami. He's visited USC. We actually made a prediction last week. We changed our prediction from USC to Ohio State for Will Howard because there was starting to be some smoke. And if Will Howard was going to go to Miami or go to USC, would that not already be a done deal? Would the dominoes not have already fell in a certain way to where he's like, I need my spot. I'm going to go to one of those schools. I think Ohio State makes a ton of sense because if you're Will Howard, you want to set yourself up for success at the next level and the structure in place at Ohio State is one that has produced multiple first round picks at the quarterback position multiple Heisman Trophy finalists if I'm Will Howard I bet on myself I go to Columbus Ohio I play under Ryan Day who's had several offenses that scored 40 points a game and I say okay I'm committing to this structure I'm going to compete I'm going to win the job I'm going to be the guy and I'm going to have those results that this structure has produced before Makes a ton of sense. Now for Ohio State, going back to what I was just saying about Ryan Day, like I think you need Will Howard to feel good about your chances to beat Michigan going forward. I think he gives you, like I just said, proven production. He's a winner. He's got a big Big 12 title to his name. There's all that that's in play. But even more so, maybe not even more so, maybe on top of that, Will Howard brings a mobile element to your offense at the quarterback position. Something that Michigan's had the last couple of years that Ohio State hasn't. And if you're able to call some design quarterback runs or if you're able to have a quarterback who can create when the play breaks down, that's something that Michigan has had with J.J. McCarthy, but Ohio State has not. And at that point in time, too, whenever you're able to ad-lib as a quarterback, you give your wide receivers more time to get open. Y'all, last time I checked, there's nothing but four- and five-star wide receivers in that, in that room in Ohio State. You give them more time to get open, you're scoring a lot of points. You give yourself a chance to run the kind of offense that you're accustomed to running at Ohio State and get the results you're accustomed to having and in that way, give yourself the best chance possible to beat Michigan. So if Will Howard goes to Ohio State, again, I think it's a win for both sides. Will Howard helps himself when it comes to his NFL stock and Ryan Day has his quarterback to say, okay, chips fall where they may. I gave my team the very best chance to win by giving us the best quarterback possible via the portal to compete for what we want to compete for here. So... We're not selling stock on Ohio State. I'm definitely not selling stock on Ryan Day. He could lose to Michigan again, and I still, I think, would believe that Ryan Day is a great head coach because he's still figuring it out. He's still a a first-time head coach, to be honest with y'all. But all that's to be said, if they land Will Howard, I think that changes the game tremendously, both metaphorically and literally with how they run their offense. So we'll keep an eye on that, man. The transfer portal, it's closed but there's some uh, some caveats there. You played the New Year's Six Bowl game. Window is, is a little bit extended for you. Uh, we saw Caden Salter jump in there yesterday. The uh, quarterback for Liberty. That's a big fish. So keep an eye on that. A lot of moves going on throughout the portal. And uh, we'll have some more thoughts for you probably on that tomorrow. But uh, another reason to make sure you're subscribed. Another reason to make sure you like the video. We're right around 67 right now. We have a tradition of getting over 100 before we get off the air. So if y'all could just Hit a little thumbs up button. We'll be well over that. We would appreciate y'all enormously for that. All right. So now welcoming on the keeper of the queue, heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? How are we feeling?
1: Dude, I'm doing good. Um, trying to get some questions in here.
0: Yeah, what's... Uh, I just put it in. What, what, I thought you were going to do an
1: ad read. I kind of forgot. No, you're good. What are,
0: uh, what are the... We got any takes in there? I'm kind of going with well, myself here, too. Well, um,
1: obviously, since there are a lot of Michigan fans in the chat today, they uh, Ryan Day was having a tough time in the yeah. chat. Um, the truth. So this is the truth. Mm-hmm. So Let's hear it. He says... It'll set
0: you free, they say.
1: I haven't read this, but I saw Ryan Day pop up. Uh says, Ryan Day had the NCAA... ESPN, Big Ten in his corner against the backup coach and still lost. Please, Ohio, give him a 10-year deal. Um, Another thing we saw, Austin said Ryan Day will not ever beat Michigan again, so he's not winning the national championship game. The Truth also said, J.D., bro, Ryan Day has had everything in his corner and still lost. Uh, Rocky Top Tom uh, doesn't like him. J.D., what do you say to the Michigan fans? who hate Ryan Day, they should love Ryan Day, right? They should love. He, I mean, he based on what team. he's
0: done in the last couple of years, should, should love Ryan Day. There was something said that I think is interesting, or two somethings rather. One, he will never beat Michigan. Therefore, he won't compete for a national title. There's a world in this expanded playoff where Ryan Day loses to Michigan again next year. Ohio State makes the playoff, goes on a run, and wins the national title. So in, in that sense, like he doesn't have to beat Michigan to win a national title anymore. Like it used to be you had to maybe, you know, hope and pray if you lost to Michigan that you would have some kind of backdoor into the college football playoff like what happened last year and get a game against Georgia and take them to the very last second. It doesn't happen anymore. It's not the world you have to live in anymore. Like, like Michigan is not the gatekeeper of your college football playoff aspirations. So shout out to the 12-team model for that. Other thought there that was, ESPN and and Fox and whoever was in Ryan Day's corner and and he played, you know, against Sharon Moore in that game. The only thing there that sticks out to me is, yeah, you had Sharon Moore on the other side of the field, but it was still a a roster full of NFL dudes. And the whole ESPN Fox thing, I don't really understand because I saw a lot of national attention against Jim Harbaugh saying this thing is going to get sticky, saying, yeah, there should be larger penalties. Like, so I, I don't really know where the TV network thing is coming from, but I appreciate the addition to the conversation. I just personally uh, would disagree that he had everything in his corner. What he did have in his corner, though, was no Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. So optically, didn't look great. But I could, I could also argue the other side of that. If they beat Michigan, there'd be an asterisk next to it of saying, yeah, well, you didn't do it with Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. So I don't know if that really counts for getting the better of him. But all in all, they'll play again next year, barring uh, Jim Harbaugh departing for the NFL. So we'll see. Okay, J.D., let's see if there's
1: some questions in here. We got one. The Love truth. It. He's
0: back. There we go.
1: They're back. Um, if you're building a college football team, how would you build your team? What would you build it on? And this is coaching players. What, mm. what would be the fa- like the big factors you would think about if you're building a team from scratch?
0: I like that. That's, that's a great question. Before we answer it, we're about 20 likes away, give or take, from 100. So if y'all can hit the thumbs up button. Again, we got this goal over 100 before we get off the air. That's probably the next... Five to ten minutes, so hit that thumbs-up button. We appreciate you all for that. What would I build my team on? I think I look at teams that are consistently in that top tier, and the number one separating factor has been line of scrimmage play. And that's not to say there aren't still anomalies. Heck, we went on this very show yesterday and picked a team with a lesser line of scrimmage in Washington to beat Michigan, who has a superior line of scrimmage, but consistently year in and year out, those teams that make the college football playoff, those teams that you know win their conference. I think of the Michigans. I think of the Georgias, the Bamas. Those teams have the big boys up front to where they're able to just control the tempo of a game. And so to give you an honest answer there, outside of hiring the right head coach and things like that, if there was a personnel standpoint that I was going after, I would go after the big human beings. We'll get our quarterback. We'll get our wide receivers. We'll get all that. But we can be probably a 9, 10-win football team if we just get the top-tier human beings up front. That'll cover up a lot of weaknesses that we would have elsewhere. So you got the big human beings, you got a chance, much like if you got a quarterback, you got a chance there as well.
1: JD, Rocky Top Tom um, says, JD, look at UT schedule, UTK schedule. I'm going to throw that one in. I love it. Um, key bye weeks before crucial stretches. Given the returning starters and their schedule, strength and how difficult it is what are your expectations for the vols 12 and one mark, 12 and one how about that says, his shot
0: wouldn't that be something that'd be something man i mean i haven't pulled up right now this is a this is a tough stretch man you got to go to oklahoma state you got nc state to start the year with grayson mccall uh that'll be in charlotte so a pseudo away game in my humble opinion there yet Florida at home but Florida's always tricky for Tennessee. Alabama at home but Alabama will bring back will, will bring back Jalen Milroe at Georgia like I think with a starting quarterback that's going to be a first year guy, Redshirt freshman and Nico Eamaliava who's stupid talented, I think 9 and 3 would get me really excited from a Vol fan. I think 8 and 4 is extremely respectable. Like I think either one of those is probably a good starting point because again remember now, true freshman he is uber talented. He is the future at Tennessee. But if it takes a second in the toughest conference in America, I wouldn't be overwhelmingly concerned. So we'll go ahead and just kind of uh, flippantly throw out the 9-3 and three projection, which is a, a nice responsible thing of us to do, just wildly speculate here in January. Uh, I think 9-3 and three is, is a, fair, a fair spot to put him at as we sit here three days into 2024.
1: Okay. How about we get to some more questions, JD, we boy, say, uh, How many more?
0: We got our boy Big Magic in the chat. I see him.
1: Yeah, I see him. He says, JD, he's asked a lot this a lot, so we need to get to it. Sure. Do you think Michael Penix Jr. has elevated himself to being a top three quarterback in the draft, or if he wins the national championship, do you think he could be a top quarterback taken at least? So, do you think? A, you read that, but also I kind of ask a second question: How much does this game on Monday night uh, in? influences draft stuck I know I, you're not a huge yeah. fan
0: no I, I think it matters a lot yeah like you were saying there Nick I'm not a I'm not necessarily like a draft expert and I look at the other quarterbacks in there between Caleb Williams and Drake May and Jaden Daniels like there's a lot of studs in this draft class I think winning the national championship gosh see I, I don't know what you value if you're if you're an NFL GM because look at Jaden Daniels and how dynamic he is on the ground of the season he had I think Michael Penix Jr. at the very least would be in that conversation for a top three pick. If they were to win the national title, maybe he's, maybe he cemented himself in there. I don't know. But regardless, he's made himself a lot of money this year. So I'll go ahead and say if they win the national title, he's he's a top three quarterback taken. I really, I think he's put up crazy numbers and his performance probably matters in the national title to see if he projects into a top three guy. But yeah, there's, I mean, I, again, there's so much of it to his need based, right? Of like who's sitting at what position and some teams might have michael Penix jr as the fourth quarterback on their board some guys might have him at number two so we'll see where where he lands but i'm, uh, I'm excited to watch his performance against this michigan defense because it'll be the this will be the best defense he's played all year without question
1: okay jd what do you say one more
0: one more brother let's do it one time for the one time hey uh, less than less than what are we seven likes away mm-hmm. seven likes away all right yeah well we
1: might need to stretch them houston says not a question just stopping by as a michigan fan to say thanks for picking against us in the playoffs (laughs) yeah see so here's the thing it's like it's a a jinx in the in everyone's eyes
0: you know i think i understand where this is coming from now um for a long time nick not a long time as soon as we put out our, our college football playoff picks i kept seeing these comments that said Thanks for picking against us again. Thanks for picking us, you know, picking picking against us again. You did the same thing against Ohio State, did the same thing against Penn State, and I was just like, "Where is this coming from?" I was like, "We haven't picked against Michigan one time all year. Where is this coming from?" Then I started to realize there are other shows that had picked against Michigan, us not being one of them. So it is what it is. But hey, very very fair. Uh, we did pick against Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Jim Harbaugh, JJ McCarthy, Roman Wilson pretty much just shut that down ASAP Rocky. So if you think it's a good luck charm, I would say the the odds actually favor us picking Michigan and, and y'all winning. So I don't know if I would thank us, but if you, if that's how you feel it's how you feel. So more power to you and we appreciate you watching the show and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So there we go. <laughs> um, hey, we got our 100th like, Hey, there we go. Well done. Good stuff. Uh,
1: JD, what do you say? We wrap up with the question here from Rohan uh, JD, what, What does Ohio State need to do to improve its offensive line and special teams? Is it players, coaches? What do you think? Both.
0: I think it's, I mean, recruiting is such an interesting thing because there's so many facets to it. Like some of it is proof of concept. Some of it is who do I have playing around me? Some of it now is NIL. Some of it's opportunity to play. And so I think so much of that then is specific to the actual recruit itself. I think if I'm Ohio State, I pitch the, the factor of, hey, if you come here, you're going to have a really good chance to go get drafted and have a chance to play for a lot of exciting things in the college football world. Like the brand of Ohio State carries so much weight. I would pitch to guys, come here, be a part of what we've built here for a long period of time, understand the track record of success here in Columbus, Ohio, and we'll go from there. Like I think that's probably the best pitch. And that too also in my mind attracts the right kind of guy, attracts the right kind of guy that isn't just there for NIL dollars or for wearing the logo. He's there to be about his business and to compete and to develop so it's going to happen i mean ohio state they've got a, a really strong tra- track record of of having great offensive linemen and having great trench play over the course of the last 10 years or so so ohio state i don't think there'll be any point in time to where they're you know super desperate on the offensive line even if they are they can go to the portal like they did this year so i'm uh, i'm excited to see how they build they're gonna be good yeah, JD. Just as they always are. <laughs>
1: Demetrius says, this is funny, uh, says, I'm not liking it. You're so thirsty for likes. It is. We brother. are a little. I mean, it, we, hey, we are.
0: No shade. I no mean, shade. like, or, or, or no shame, rather, when it comes to that. Like, hey, we we have a standard. We do our best <laughs> to uphold the standard. And we try and bring everybody up to, the, up to that standard. So you don't have to like the video at all. But we appreciate y'all that do. We appreciate y'all that make sure it gets done. And, keeps the uh, lights on jd keeps the lights on keeps the likes on like, hey it's a, it's a good way to go
1: um landon says wish you could answer my question jd if i can find this really quick um we can a- oh wait, here we go you want this one more is yeah, that okay man. yeah let's do I'm it i'm sorry to interrupt you no i uh, said it. lsu just fired their entire defensive staff uh, y- you would be the first to comment on it on youtube uh who do you think they should go after as uh, their offensive and defensive coordinators since now both good coordinator question. positions will be vacant, JD, you want to confirm yeah, this I'm first? Yeah, I'm trying
0: to. I'm trying to find something on here to see if I can confirm that. that's that's where we're where we're. Well, yeah. Okay, so nine minutes ago, Brian Kelly has announced overhauling his defensive staff, including DC Matt House, per the On Three social channel. So another reason to follow the On Three Twitter account if you have not already. Gosh, Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a mulligan here, or not a mulligan, a pass here, and see. Uh, and see if we can't come back to this tomorrow. Because I honestly, yeah. I don't have a great gauge for who this could be. I mean, you would think maybe a high level position coach or, or a proven DC at different spots elsewhere. But they were unhappy with what happened last year. And I don't blame them. But it's funny because the year before, the yeah. defense is what led the team. Yep. And Jaden Daniels was trying to get it going. And then this past year was the exact opposite. So, regardless, though, that will be, uh, that will be a highly coveted DC position. Coach under Brian Kelly, coach in the SEC, mm-hmm. have access to elite talent. Uh, we'll circle back to this tomorrow, but I appreciate it. Okay, I appreciate you asking that, Big Nick. Yeah, uh, well, thank you very much to Landon as well. Big Landon, making sure it happens.
1: Yep, Making okay.
0: sure it happens. Nick, I appreciate you, brother. We'll see you same time tomorrow. Same time, same place. Good deal. All right, we are live tomorrow. I saw one of you asking in the chat. We are, of course, live tomorrow. It's a Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll be in here talking ball. Have our final thoughts for this national championship before we leave for Houston. So make sure you're dialed in here. Also, make sure you follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. That's where we can pull some questions from y'all to put them into the show. So we appreciate y'all in advance for making that happen. Love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Hey, let's finish through the line, all right? Finish through the line this week. Finish through the line this college football season. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Let's keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.